most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Welcome to episode 198 of Keeping Up With The Joneses, where this week AJ is back. I'm back. Baby, how was Australia? It was awesome. You went for seven days. Well, I think it's like eight days and like three and a bit of those days is traveling. Well, no, you left on a Monday and you came back on a Monday. Yes, that's eight days. Oh, yeah, I see how that Mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. It was horrible watching, like, obviously I kept my times on the same, but I dropped you off at Nashville International Airport Mm -hmm. and you got on a plane at 4 p.m. to fly to Los Angeles. Yes. And then the next day, 24 hours later, at 4 p.m. Nashville time, you landed in Melbourne. Yes. Two days later. Yeah. I think we were like 28 or 29 hours door to door. And I got two hours of sleep. (laughs) And I gave you like proper heavy duty sleeping pills. And I took them. And it did nothing. Nothing. You were in a back row right next to toilets with non-reclining chairs. Yeah. And of course, you know, people that can't sleep feel that they should come back and stand in that space and have a conversation. You know. No, the rest of us don't want to sleep. Please go ahead and have your conversation. <laughs> but you forgave them and go over it, sounds like. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And so then you landed Wednesday. <laughs> yes. And you went Wednesday straight into morning. teaching. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I got to hang with Gary and Sarah a bit and had some very good coffee and food and then went straight into teaching. And how was that? It was good. School of Profits was very fun. They're a great group of people. Mm-hmm. Shout um, out School of Profits. What, what? So, yeah, that was really fun to just meet some of the people that Gary and Sarah are pouring into. And then you went straight into a conference, a mm-hmm. speak conference. Yeah. Do you have fun? Did, well, of course you're going to have fun. It's Gary and Sarah. Yeah. It was so fun. It was great. Everything was great. Worship was great. I was going to say teaching was great, but <laughs> I mean, that sort of sounds like what it was conceded. How uh, was that Canadian speaker? <laughs> That flew from America. Was she good? Oh, yeah. She was really good. <laughs> she, she wasn't distracted by the fact her hot husband wasn't there? She was. Uh-huh. She was very distracted That's what that he was missing. Yeah. But she just pushed through anyway. You're just a soldier. Right. And then you jumped back on the plane. Well, yeah. Then I had Sunday off. Got to go to Stairway Church. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, we went downtown Melbourne, showed Elena downtown Melbourne, which mm-hmm. was lovely, and had fantastic food again gary and sarah they know how to eat they did i mean the, they did coin the food is my love language hashtag yes. and yeah by name and by nature mm-hmm. they are exceptional at eating well i did not want for food or coffee no no their coffee machine they just got a new coffee machine the jura the jura yeah <sighs> just like balder's one. Oh, it's amazing oh so good come on i, love I was it. like making up excuses for for coffee not that i had to but yes and then you hopped on a plane and then you flew home it was interesting the time difference thing because i would call you facetime you when i woke up which was just as you're going to bed usually about 10 or 11 p.m yeah and then i would call you just before i was going to bed which was kind of mid-afternoon for you yeah and that seemed to work quite well but was really surreal because when i speak to you in the afternoon which was the morning it's that whole thing of you living a day ahead of me. I know it shouldn't be fascinating to me, but it just entertains my mind all the time. I'm like, you're finishing the day that I'm about to start. Mm-hmm. I started getting my head around it probably the day I was ready to fly home. And then now I'm all confused. Like I'm, I'm, I'm upside down. And how's jet lag been? Do you know, it? I think now this is going to sound kind of strange, but I think because I didn't sleep very much on the way out. I slept like two hours or no, maybe it was four hours. 
it was a short period of time. Right. Um, so by the time, you know, we get in Wednesday morning, I stayed awake all day. I had a little nap it was about 20 minutes long and it actually made me feel a little bit ill. Uh, you know, when you just, Oh, that's the worst oh, thing to do. It was a bad idea. And then went and spoke and everything got home at like 10 or 10 30. I slept like the dead until about nine the next morning. I mean, just out. On the way back, you were next useless. I think you only had, what, 20 minutes sleep on the whole flight home? No, I had two hours. No, no that's not right. I had 45, 45 minutes, minutes on the 15-hour uh, journey, and then I slept about two hours on the plane from LAX to Nashville. You bounced back really good, except you got cold because somebody sat next to you on the plane and had bronchitis, it sounded like. Both on the way there and on the way back, there was people in our row that were like hacking up a lung. And I felt like just saying, I get it. Like you've bought your plane ticket and you can't just not go because you have a cold, but you could wear a mask. They like, weren't you wearing could... masks? No. Oh. I'm like, you could do something so that everybody around you doesn't get infected. That's when I think you have like permission from everyone on the plane just to wrap a like a scarf, a scarf around them, towel, yeah, airplane blanket, something like that, you know, vomit bag. Just say, look, wear this for the duration of the flight and we'll be cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're back, baby. Thanks. Um, everybody asked, like, how did you cope without AJ? I was like, she was only gone seven days, which I need to update that with eight days. And our kids are amazing. Yes. And there was only one or two meals that were a little bit sketchy. Wait, what? Well, you know. Define sketchy. Well, let's not drag up the past. No, no. What let's are you saying? On. Here's the I stuff did that you notice missed. that you did breakfast for dinner. Only once. And they loved it. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Well, I can't judge you. I did it two days ago. We, we ate a lot of bacon as well. Uh-huh. Here's the stuff you missed. Yes. Mr. Blake Stratton was on the podcast last week and was amazing. So I heard. You need to listen to it. It's, a, it's absolutely astonishing. I don't I don't pull the you need to often, but you need to. It was incredible. Um, I had Blake while you had Elena. And so we kind of, the Joneses and the Strattons divided and conquered yeah, both yeah, hemispheres. Yeah. We, we shared them. I taught on Monday night at Emily on five things I learned from being with the Ornets. Oh, oh that's I, so nice. I wasn't prepared for how emotional I'd get. Oh, I just for those of you who don't know, John and Carol Ornett are the founding pastors of a church called Catch the Fire Toronto, home to the Father's Blessing or the Toronto Blessing that happened in 1994. And um, really, uh, it's Father's Day as we record this. A, a mom and a dad to AJ, absolutely. And then I married into the family and we lived with them and then we traveled the world with them. And I was just sharing Emily. I just told stories about what it was like to live and travel with revivalists. And I managed to narrow it down to five things, but I loved teaching on that. It made me, I'm going to keep it because it made me really, really, really happy. That's lovely. Then this Friday, Tia turned seven. Nope. Or nine, as the case may be. Oh yeah, she turned nine. <laughs> I don't know what she thought. Yeah, she turned nine. Yeah. We had a pool party You're for gonna her. You're going to be fine. Which is the way to go. Yeah. Just, here's a pool. Just sign this waiver and jump into it. Yeah. And there was like, I mean, very limited cleanup. We didn't have to scurry around our house like mad people. Nope. Trying to make sure there was no things that were, you know, small that could fit in people's mouths. And I don't know. We didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> I know it sounds like nine-year-olds, you have to worry about them choking on small toys, but I more meant like the small siblings that might accompany right. them. Yeah. I see. And then Sunday today was Father's Day. My kids were so creative, babe. Do you know what, what they got me for Father's Day? What did they get you? They got me handmade cards, which I quickly looked past. And then Wait a minute. I, they worked really hard on those cards. I know, but. You know, and then what they got me were AirPods. Really? I know. And I love them. Amazing. You've How did them. they know? 
Uh, we'll never know that mystery, but they managed to pick exactly what I wanted, and it was great. Wow. And the weird thing was, the box was empty. It's almost like I'd already opened them. And right. was using them for a couple of days before <laughs> Father's Day. Yep, I it's love almost them. like that. You've had them for ages, for like a year, maybe? Yeah, year and a half. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, these are Apple's wireless, I guess, earphones. They just mm-hmm. kind of, they sit in your ear and they're Bluetooth, but they're, it's just classic Apple at its best. It's seamless, it's perfect, it's clever, it's fully refined. Oh, I just love them. So I've been trying to find excuses to wear them all the time. Apparently, people think it's rude when you wear them and they're trying to have a conversation with you. But you're it like, is. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just breaking them in. It's Father's Day. I get to get no. to do that. No, it's absolutely rude. Actually, I was talking to Abby this morning and she was like, Mommy, what did we get Daddy for Father's Day? Because, you know, we always get you some sort of gadgety thing. And I said... Mommy got him AirPods and she goes, oh, mommy, you're too late. He bought his own AirPods at the mall. And I was like, oh, baby, those are the same AirPods, darling. <laughs> mommy said he could go get them. And so she was like, oh, so what's in the bag? I said, just an empty box. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll make him rainbow letters on his card then. She did. It, it was beautiful. There you go. All right, so our main topic for this week is getting stuff done. What, what? Yeah, we picked this topic because we got a listener's question. This is Vincent who wrote in, and he said, Hello, Alan and AJ. I was wondering if you could shed light and possibly even do a podcast on time management and even practical tools you use to manage your time wisely. As my life becomes more full throughout the week with business, family, and friends, I would love to know how you manage your time wisely. Gosh, I'd love to say that we manage our time wisely 100% of the time. I don't think we're achieving that at all. No. But we do have some tools and strategies that we use to do the best that we can with the energy that we have at the time. Right. Yeah. And, you know, everything we're telling you right now is not theoretical. It's born out of our experience of having an enormous to-do list by choice. Like we, The thing I love about you, babe, is you... I hope this sounds okay. You match me speed for speed, workload for workload. Like we both love working hard. Yes. We both love projects. We're both highly fluent in the shape or life language. So we love plans. We love projects. We love to lead. And if anything, probably one of our big weaknesses is is taking on too much. But because of that and over the years, because this isn't a new thing. I think I've been like this since I discovered stuff I like. Yeah. We are always working hard and we found ways to meet all the deadlines we have and refine things. And I'm not trying to say that we're perfect, that stuff does get dropped. But what I'm trying to say is over the years, over 10, 20 years, we've found out what works for us. And we want to share seven things that we found works for us and we hope works for you too. Yeah. I love that you just said over 10 or 20 years because um, how long do you think we've been married for? Well, I've been working on this list before I ever met you. Well, that's true. Me so, too. All right. I got gotcha. you. Do you know gotcha. what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I managed to get through school and yeah, I remember writing my thesis and, you know, all, you know, all began back then. Yes. And I, th- I learned it from my parents. Both my parents were incredibly hardworking and very efficient. Well, I'm not so sure about efficient. Well, I guess my dad was. My mom just seemed to revel in work, but learn the art of not getting stressed by upcoming deadlines and managing to do it. And so we love it. So this is what we want to share with you. All right. So number one, work in chunks of time. Explain that one. Well, I learned this from Dr. Tony Bazan, who is the inventor of mind maps. And basically, he was saying that your interest level 
um, and, or your attention span flags over a duration of time. Mm-hmm. So if you take a 60-minute block of time, uh, you tend to be really motivated at the beginning of time. And you tend to be really motivated towards the end of the time because you know your 60 minutes is almost up, you're going to get a break. And then the bit in the middle tends to kind of sag and drop depending on how interested in the topic that you are. Right. And so his whole point was instead of working for a chunk of 60 minutes, the largest part of which you're going to be in that sag, split that 60 minutes up into three 20-minute blocks of time. Mm -hmm. Because then you'll have three lots of what he calls the primacy effect, recency effect, like being motivated at the beginning, being motivated at the end Mm -hmm. for your first 20 minutes and then your next 20 minutes and your uh, third 20 minutes. I've drawn a graph, which we'll put a link to in in our show notes to show you what I'm talking about. But once I learned that little brain hack, it boosted my productivity. The, The actual, this is kind of bizarre, but the ideal time to stop working is when you just hit your stride. I know that makes no sense at all, but this is based on the work of Dr. Tony Bazan, who incidentally also learned mind mapping, which I don't think we've ever talked about, a, a very creative way of taking notes, which mm. I started doing in my first year of university, which helped me greatly. But yeah, work in chunks of time. I would do 20 minutes, quick break, 20 minutes, quick break, 20 minute, long break, and then start the cycle again. Right. Now, when don't you do that? You do not do that when you have any creative tasks to do. Right. So creative tasks for me would be writing a sermon, video editing, um, I guess for musicians it would be writing songs. Because for creative space, and I've got a great video that I'll link to in the show notes, John Cleese, the, the brilliant British comic who wrote all the, well, helped write all the Monty Python stuff and Faulty Towers, I heard him do an amazing talk before it was a TED talk um, about his process for being creative. And I was like, ah, oh, that's exactly how I think. That's, that's exactly the same. Like, for example, if I have to prepare a sermon, I won't even start unless I have a minimum of an hour you know, an hour and a half of uninterrupted time just won't be worth it. I'd rather do busy work, emails, receipts, you know, whatever in that, in that time. Yeah. So, but work in chunks of time and also think about your time. Like my most productive time is in the morning. So there's no point in me trying to schedule um, being productive at night. By night, I need to do routine stuff. I don't need to do thinking stuff. Right. Because it's, you're just too tired to get Uh, your brain online. What about you though? You're kind of a night owl, aren't you? I'm a, it depends on how much caffeine I've had in the morning, but yes, I would say I'm better in the afternoon and night than I am in the morning necessarily. So the morning I'll tend to do more busy work there and get those things off my list. I also like to have some things checked off my list. So I feel like I have stuff done, right? uh, which encourages me in forward motion. So I try and eradicate all the things that will take my attention away and move that later. So uh, again, throughout my week, Wednesday is my favorite day of the week, but it's not a day for getting things done because it's a day of meetings. Right. So it's my favorite day because I'm with some of my favorite people. You know, we've got passes meeting or we're meeting with Jeff or we've got our all staff. Or we've got our senior team in the afternoon. I know on Wednesday I will get nothing done. And by that, I mean, I won't produce anything. I'll be in lots of meetings. Meetings are where I find out what I'm going to be doing once I finish this meeting. You can't be productive in meetings. So right. I try and limit Wednesday to my meeting days so that I'm free the rest of the week to work. Right. All right. Number two is live in daytight compartments. Yeah. Talk about that. I don't know if we do it exactly the same, but I, I think we're pretty similar. Like I was thinking about as we were going into May, 
um, there was, I was feeling that I, like I was getting overwhelmed with, with all the stuff that had to get done. Right. Right. So, you know, we had the conference coming up. We had a weekend away in Atlanta. We had Australia. So there was a bunch of things coming up and I was aware I needed a whole bunch of messages ready and, and, and stuff like that. And so the way I mitigate the stress of that is, all right, the next thing is the source conference. I'm just thinking about that. I'm not thinking about what happens the weekend after or whatever. I am just living in what can I get done today and what needs to be done in the next couple of days rather than getting stressed about what the next month looks like because that's never going to help me. Right. And then once source conference was done, then I was like, okay, I'll have a day of rest and now... I'm free to look at what the weekend looks like. Right. Um, but I learned that from you. I never I never did that before. I learned it from Jesus. Oh. Yeah, Matthew 6, verse 34, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I, Tony Wakefield actually taught me this phrase. He said, worry does not equals care. So I learned to stop worrying because I used to think, oh, I'm demonstrating my responsibility and my care for the things that's on my plate by worrying about them. Right. And then I realized, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to waste today's energy on tomorrow's responsibilities. So I just focused on today and just asked Jesus for grace to get through today and knew that, uh, you know, I would, have, I would have grace for each particular day that that I've gone on. What we do is each Monday when we wake up, as we look at what is coming up on the week, and we apportion energy that we need for each day. Yes. And sometimes the days are crazy. Sometimes we haven't planned things brilliantly because of uh, either necessity or for, or forgetfulness. Right. Like necessity would be uh, maybe we have a really busy day uh, Tuesday that's perfectly manageable, but then crisis happens and we need to be called into a situation or uh, something happens or you know one of the kids falls or whatever. And you're like, okay, all, all I have to do is get through today and there will be grace waiting for me tomorrow to actually manage that. Yeah. We're also introverts. So we also manage our energy levels in terms of what we have left to spend. Right. I'm trying to think of an example that we had the other the other day. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I was in the midst of my day type compartment finishing off of May scenario, uh, we had, uh, just before I flew to Australia, there was an alumni event mm -hmm. uh, at Arrington Vineyard. And so, you know, you didn't have the energy to go. I did have the energy to go because I had reserved energy to be able to go and do that. So I went and you right. stayed home. Yeah. And I knew if I if I had gone... It wouldn't be pleasant for the people there and it wouldn't be pleasant for me. No, and you would want to leave half an hour in or an hour in and then I would miss out on... Well, not even that. I mean, I just knew it, it's, it has no bearing on the people or the activity. It's just I've used up the, the week's energy by the time we got to Friday. Right. And I was like, oh, if I'm going to be useful for preaching on Sunday, I need to actually recharge. I've got you know time to give stuff away. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, it's we'll, we'll cover energy management later, but that's the day-tight compartment. Number three is, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, take number three away, is learn to write stuff down. Almost every single productivity expert you will ever read talks about the importance of having some manageable way of getting ideas out of your head onto paper. I think it was David Allen who said, your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. The amount of stress that you burden yourself by talking yourself through the day to not forget things can be solved by having a really good system. AJ, you have a 
some sort of planner. What's it called? Oh, it's an ink and volt planner. Right. I love it. Which you love. Mm-hmm. I have stuff on my iPhone. I know that comes as a big surprise. We'll, we'll, yes, we'll, I'm shocked. We'll talk about that stuff in a second. But for now, I'm just talking about the high level thing of having somewhere to write stuff down. So, for example, I'm in worship this morning. I'm singing my guts out. And as I'm singing in worship, I'm not thinking about anything other than the majesty of Jesus. This thought passes through my head about what I need to talk to Jeff about on Wednesday, our upcoming meeting. And rather than having to kind of like worship and keep that thought in my head so I don't forget it until Wednesday, I don't want to do that. I want to be present between now and Wednesday. I just pull out my uh, favorite to-do apps, which is called Things for iPhone, and I just make a note of it in my project called uh, Meetings with Jeff. And I write down and boom, I can forget it and I can go straight back to worship. Another thing, I'm listening to Jeff, his opening line as he's preaching this morning, and as soon as he says something, it's like a waterfall of revelation just goes tumbling through my head. And I'm like, this is profound. This is the answer to the question I was asking the Lord. And so I pull out again my phone and I go to the notes app and I just write down all of the revelations in my head so that I don't have to remember to do it later. Or when it comes to sermon prep on Thursday, I'm like, what was that revelation the Lord gave me on Sunday? Right. I, I thought I would never down. forget it, but look at that I have. <laughs> yeah. Get it out of your head and onto paper. Yeah. Number four, review your calendar and to-do lists. Okay, let's talk about the importance of calendars. I love calendars. We have. How many calendars do we have? Well, we have it all separated by category. Right, well, I call them calendars. So I have my own personal calendar. You have your own personal calendar. We have our shared calendar. We have our kids' school calendar. We have our family calendars that we need to know about. We have our, yeah, like our booked babysitter calendar. We have when guests are coming to stay at our house calendar. Yep. And they're all shared with various people that need to know all that information. And then we have all of our work calendars. And then, yeah, but I turn all of them off. You know, I just, uh, they're there if I need to access them. Yeah, I don't want to see what. I have them on. Yeah, but then that's just visual clutter. Oh. It's just horrible. Like, I don't need to know but what I women's ministry is I feel like I don't doing. have all the information. Oh, I don't have women's ministry on. That's a good point. I have the calendars that affect me, like the school calendar and m oh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, I have those. But, like, there's about 30 different Grace Center calendars. That's true. I turn them yeah. off. So, writing stuff down isn't enough. You actually have to review it. So, writing stuff down is great. But how many of you have ever had the problem where you've been writing things down, but then you can't remember where you wrote it down? That's still not a good system. Right. You need a, a, a single stop of where you, you put stuff down. But This is the place where I put it. Yeah. Again, every morning when we get up, or usually when we're driving the car, we review each morning to get an overview of what's happening in the day. Yeah. At the start of each week, we review the whole week. Like, you know, what have we got going on so we know where we are? And again, because of the way I do things, I know that all my notes are going to be in notes, all my to-dos are going to be in things, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And that way stuff doesn't catch you by surprise. I mean, occasionally you're still going to have those moments, but you have a lot less of them if you're using a calendar. Right. Which leads us to point number five, which is you need an inbox for everything. What does that mean? Well, that means you and I and everybody who's listened to this are constantly inundated with incoming information. True. Phone calls, text messages, requests, uh, mail, junk mail, evites, invitations, letters from your bank, whatever. You need an inbox for everything. So, again, email. Well, we'll talk about what I do with email in a second. Well, let me tell you what I do with 
email right now. I used to have inbox zero. I haven't practiced that in forever. I need to get back to it. But this is how I used to do email. Um, sad to say right now, I I don't know what I'm doing with my email, but this is what I used to do. And I felt way more productive when I was in charge. But I used to use my inbox only for incoming information. Like I wouldn't actually do anything with the... I wouldn't actually use my inbox as a mailbox. Let me try and explain. When any... Yeah, because you're going to need to. That doesn't make any sense. All right. When I'd sit down to do my email, I'd have three folders. I'd have a folder called reply, a folder called store, and a folder called action. And everything in that inbox was treated as hostile until it was moved to one of those folders. So I open up my inbox and I would just start going through it. If it's something I need to reply to, I put it in the reply folder. If it's something I don't need to reply to, but it's information I'm going to need later on in life, I put it in the store folder. If it's something that's going to take more than just two minutes to reply, I put it in the action folder. Like if it's Jeff saying, hey, Alan, you know, could you forward me this presentation um, after you've updated it? I want to remember that I've done that, so I'm going to put it in the action folder. And really, that's how I do email. It's a triage approach. I just open it up, and I try and get my inbox to zero, and I put all the email in reply, store, and action. If it doesn't fit in one of those three things, it gets deleted. The reason I do that is then I can approach my email with different levels of energy in mind. If I'm feeling highly productive, I can open up my email, I can go to the reply folder, and I'm just in a reply mode. I'm just banging out all the information that needs to be done. Reply, 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 reply. If I've got more time, and I'm thinking, oh, I need to get on with some stuff, or you know, stuff that's going to take a little bit longer, I go to my action folder and start working on that stuff. And from time to time, I'll just go through my store folder and see if it needs to be filed away or if it's okay where it is. The goal is to always have zero emails in my inbox, and I always know what needs to be replied to, what's just in storage, and what needs to be actioned. Does that make sense? Yeah, so good. Yeah, I haven't done it in a while, which is why my inbox right now just looks like a disaster. <laughs> Mine do. But I just use the delete key a lot more because yeah. I, you. is it okay to talk about something that might publicly shame you? I suppose. Wait, why are we publicly shaming me? Well, I'm, it's, not, it's not the goal. I just wonder, like, when I look in your inbox, I can't see the forest for the trees because there's so many, what I would call junk emails, but they're all emails you subscribe to, like Old Navy, The Gap, yeah. Williams and Sonoma. Well, some of them I have tried to unsubscribe from many times, right. and I'm still getting the stinking emails. So I just go through every two or three days and just delete everything. Um, but I might have to get more aggressive in my unsubscribing approach. A tool that I have used, which I have really, really, really appreciated, which I haven't renewed this year just because it wasn't in our budget, but last year for Christmas, I bought myself a year's subscription to something called SaneBox. And what SaneBox did is largely automate what I've just talked about. But the beautiful thing about it is it would take care of the persistent junk mail that you've tried to unsubscribe from but didn't work. I highly recommend it. It is quite expensive, but I highly recommend it. It, it. it really did help me. I think that's part of the reason I've gotten out of the habit is because it was doing it for me automatically. That's interesting. So it will automatically sort out your mailbox into what it, and it's a very, very clever, what it thinks you need to see. And some of the email clients, like Gmail does that and you know Outlook does that, but this does it plus plus on steroids. And they have a brilliant mailbox called Sane uh, Black Hole that any email you drop in, you will never hear from that person ever again because they just mm-hmm. handle all that. So, How do I get that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry. You speak to your friendly neighborhood nerd like me. Okay. I'm sure we can come to some can, arrangements. Can we talk later? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can talk. Um, it's not just about your mail inbox, though. You need, uh, like, I had a boss who told me, only let a piece of paper touch your hand once. So staff memos, mailbox, uh, your incoming email at home. I've got a place where I just dump them. Currently, it's my desk. Then I just go through the mail once a week. I've also taken that approach of unsubscribing from everything I can paper-wise. Yeah. Dave Ramsey taught us uh, a thing that you can... I forget. We did it at our old house, and then since we've moved addresses, we need to redo it. But basically, it's like a a death knell for credit card or loan offers. You just notify one central body. I forget what it is. I'll have to look at my notes. But you send them your mailing address, and you never, ever receive another credit card, loan, or anything like that in the mail. It that was would beautiful. be nice because they're so annoying. They are, but, it, you know, my kids get to earn money by shredding it. So there's that. Well, there's that. All right. You need an inbox for everything, not just email. Number six is something we've touched on already where we talk about it's not time management you need to worry about. It's energy management. Talk about energy management for me. Well, there's some things that we uh, that we both do. Like we have some some specific restaurants that that are typically the ones that we will go to if we're going out on a date or we're taking people out for dinner and uh part of the reason for that is I know what I order there so I don't have to spend time on that energy like I don't have to spend energy on that decision right there's a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School who wrote this brilliant article in the Harvard Business Review he said this making too many decisions about mundane details is a waste of a limited resource your mental energy. Basically, this research shows that your decision-making processes don't really distinguish between big, serious decisions that need to be made and trivial ones. Right. So if you can limit the amount of decisions you need to make about stuff that really doesn't matter, like where to eat, what to wear, if you can pre-decide all of that, life becomes way simpler and you've got more energy to make bigger, more important decisions. Right. So that's one of the ways that we've sort of streamline things a little bit to preserve energy. We also do things like uh, Amazon subscribe and save. So uh, through Amazon subscribe and save, I have ordered uh, a lot of our regular household things. So I don't have to think about them. So it's, you know, paper towel, toilet paper, uh, laundry detergent, um, and then some basic foods that we use every month. I know we're going to go through a fair amount of it. And so it all just arrives and that is staple food and staple things that have arrived that I don't have to go get. It's on my door. And more importantly, it's stuff you don't have to remember to go get or stuff you have to remember. Have we run out of this? It just removes that whole equation. Right. And then add in that it's usually way cheaper on Amazon. So I I feel like I'm being thrifty. And then similar (laughs) to that, we try and minimize friction as much as possible so there's there's you know i know my schedule i have the same schedule every day in fact our whole life runs on a schedule yes so we have our own schedule we've automated as much as possible in our life for example in our house we automate tons of stuff we automate our doors opening and closing them locking i never have to i never worry have i locked a door because the doors lock themselves i never have to worry about lights being left on because they turn themselves on and off even down to the irrigation system in our lawn, we don't have to water plants because they do it automatically and they don't do it if it's been raining recently. You know, all that sort of stuff. I'm trying to eradicate the need to think about things so that I can spend my thoughts on better things. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, also our kids' lives run on schedules. Right. So everything in our household is pretty much on a schedule. Which and makes it that interesting works when for us. people come to stay. Y- yes, it does. Because we have to be like, deep breath. People are more important than schedule. People are more important than schedule. <laughs> we can do this. The kids can stay up half an hour later just to see so-and-so when they get here. <laughs> yes. But, but it, it is part of the reason, not just for our survival, but our ability to enjoy our life is things are automated. Like when school's in session... It gets way more automated. In the summer, we're positively laid back. I know. The kids didn't go to bed till eight tonight. God, it was shocking. Just slacking. Right? So that, that's us trying to manage our energy as, as well as possible. And then finally, talking about that, our final point is this whole thing that we learned a number of years ago that self-care is not selfish. One of the most important things about getting things done is knowing when to stop. Yeah. Your rest, what's that Jason Bourne line, rest is a weapon. It's n- you, you, if you think that you can only rest when things are done, you will never rest because there are always yeah. things that need your attention. Always. always, especially as pastors, if if we don't say no to the demands on our time, there will always be demands on our time. Yeah. So my weekends, I try and prioritize for our family. So when people try and connect, you know, hey, can we do you know dinner on a you know you know a weekend? I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry, that's that, that's just not possible. I try and prioritize my kids, or you know, we we have learned that self care is not selfish, and I'm a better person tomorrow if I rest today. And we also try and set each other up to get what each other needs as well. Like I know you need alone time, I need alone time, so we try and make sure that we're helping each other get the self-time that we need so that we are the best version of ourselves. And sometimes that self-time just looks like you need a morning in your pajamas playing Zelda, doesn't it, AJ? It does. That looked like yesterday morning. <laughs> I was like sitting there and I played Zelda probably for two hours. Maybe a little more than two. You think so? I think so, yeah. Mm. But I did realize, wow, I haven't really played this game in ages like in months and it was just really fun and relaxing and i really enjoyed it and you know mj and t just sat there and you know not played with me because only one person plays but they helped me find things it was sweet right yeah and it was really good and it was a good wind and you down. were a better version of yourself because you work like nobody's business yeah and then i got up made lunch and cleaned the house for the next seven hours <laughs> it was messy so there you go. There's our top seven things that we've learned over the years for getting stuff done. Number one, work in chunks of time. Number two, learn to live in daytight compartments. Number three, write stuff down. Number four, review the stuff you've written down. Number five, get an inbox for everything. Number six, remember it's not just about time management, it's also energy management. And finally, number seven, self-care is not selfish. If you are listening to this in the car or if you're listening to this doing all dishes and you're thinking, oh, I, I wanted to take notes on that, we have got an article that we actually wrote on how to get stuff done. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It covers all of the seven points. It's also illustrated with pictures, graphs, and videos. And plus, there's a reading list there as well. So if you want to know the books that we've read that have really helped us on that journey, we've got links there and we'll post it there. AJ, in other news, interesting stuff's been happening to you on Instagram. Tell us all about it. Yes, somebody is an imposter is imposting. Do imposters impost? I don't know. They do nefarious things. Yes. So there's somebody who's pretending to be me who has taken my picture off of a web page and has started an Instagram account uh, that's called AJ's Prayer something. It's AJ Jones Prayer Page, all one word. 
So what this person is doing, they've created AJ Jones' prayer page as an Instagram account, got a photo of AJ, got a link to gracecenter.us slash school, so it looks super official. They don't have any followers, thankfully, but they are a private page. But what they've been doing is they've been following a lot of people who already follow us, so it kind of looks legit. And if this thing goes the way it usually does, they'll probably start asking for money, which we won't do. So we've reported it, but would ask you to block them or report them for spam or report them um, however you choose. And sorry, again, if anybody goes after you, there's only three accounts on Instagram. There's at Alan, there's at underscore AJ Jones, and there's at Alan and AJ. Those are the only three accounts that we have and we manage, and they're the legit ones. All right. Well, thank you for sticking with us to the end of the podcast today. We pray you have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee. They are just like you and me Alan and AJ Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses Sharing their life experiences Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses They talk about faith in God And everything under the sun If you are a human being There's something here for everyone